Greetings, greetings. This is the Eclectic Goddess with a Speak Your Truth show here on Verity Radio, running a bit late, transport problems. As people realize now that um, things like Uber and Bolt and all these online cab companies, what they do is they tell you they've got your booking and then you wait and then they keep delaying the time, delaying the time, and then they cancel on you. And then when you, when you decide that you want to book again, they put the price up. They keep messing around. Anyway, how is everyone today outside in Feferity listening land? I hope you're all well. The weather's not great. Felt like I was going to get rained on on top of everything else. But uh, I have got an amazing guest today, a truly fantastic sister, Sister Khadija Sese, also known as Sister Khadija George. And she is many things, poet, uh, writer, publisher, and she's going to share what she's doing and tell you all about the wonderful woman that she is. So I'm going to start off with a brand new track that's come out of the Jamaica by a wonderful sister by the name of Coffee. I hope people can hear that. We up ya, free up ya, balance ya, got from the structure. Do them cabbage, get the duck ya, hey, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fiesta, forever, party, whenever, when we're together. Uh. Yeah, coming from the West Indies, and you know I said we give them the best indeed anywhere we there we do a flex fan street and this style where we do no matter red stampede and i interview no matter question me and you try never look in my direction G. new bank job and a bridge fan feed oh coming from the second beat yeah if you know What is up, gas it up, flow like a quidduck New fuck it on the ends and cut it up Jack still got it up, wrapped and packaged up Yeah, coming from the West Indies And you know so we giving them the best indeed Anywhere we there we do a flex fan street And the style what we do no matter red stampede And I interview no matter question me And you try never look in my direction G New bank crab and a bridge fan feed Oh, coming from the second grid if you know me, I'm having the time of my life Don't you slow me down, beg your pardon me I wanna just party, yeah I wanna just tell my manager, see I wanna just party, yeah I wanna just party We up, yeah, we, we, yeah Balance, yeah, we, we, yeah Good and calm, we Yeah. 
having the time of my life Don't you slow me down Beg you pardon me I wanna just party, yeah I wanna just tell my manager I wanna just party, yeah I wanna just party Yes, that was West Indies by Coffee, one of her late new tracks. I have to say, I yes, I do love Coffee though, but the term West Indies, we got to dash that nonsense away. There is no such thing as the West Indies. When are we going to get rid of this? Like UWE, University of the West Indies, you'd think that they would be at the lead, leading at the vanguard of the, the decolonizing movement to, to look at the language we're using and what that represents. West Indies came about as a result of an idiot by the name of Christopher Columbus who didn't discover anything but rocked up on people's already discovered populated lands and caused their genocide of these people. So he rocked up in the lands now known as the Caribbean, tribute to people who were once inhabiting those islands, known as the Caribs, and there are many other groups, and I'm not even sure Carib is the correct term, but it's closer to what we, we want for the names of those lands that we now, the descendants of African kidnapped and trafficked people, call our home, the Caribbean. So he called it the West Indies because he was lost and thought he was west of India, the Indies. So. We really have to dash away those terms. We really need to stop using these derogative terms and glorifying murderers, thieves, rapists, and basically the scum of Europe who sent, were sent out on ships to cause the uh, chaos that they went on to, to cause. Yes, but having said that, of course, we have to big up coffee and her wonderful voice and the music that she makes. So I'm going to uh, keep that kind of reggae vibe gonna play one more track before my very special guest joins me live on the line this one is skip marley vibe she want to catch a vibe she want to spend some time into the light into the light, into the light. she want to catch a vibe she want to free her mind into the She don't want nothing basic She want to touch all bases Build up relation Rev up the car and race it Catch vibrations Oh, she want release her mental Touch all her nerve that's central Switch on the beat and tempo Inside a herbal info I sell no Venmo oh. Just let go, oh Just let, just let go Catch a big bonfire, funny high lad of a gentile, funny not to us everything. Chance. 
transpire Baby, you're full of energy like high boy You're a goddess Beautiful and modest Baby, don't bother Need you to let go Just let go Just let Just let go for me Let go for me Just let Just let Just let go for me Let go for me She want to catch a vibe. That's Vibe by Skip Marley featuring Pop Can. So hopefully this is going to work. I should have on the line my sister Khadija Sese. Are you there? I'm here. I'm here indeed. Okay, let me see. The volume sounding very low. Do, do you want to... Let's see if I've got my hmm, That train and that was live from the newly released Bob Marley and the Wailers 73 album. But let's swiftly move on to my special guest who's been holding on. Sister Khadija, are you there? I'm here, I'm here. Oh, Sister. wonderful. We can hear How you me? loud and clear, finally. Oh, good. I was panicking a bit there. I was like, oh, my God, imagine if I missed this window of opportunity to get you on the show. <laughs> so I've done a very brief introduction to you, but can you start by introducing yourself to our listeners, please? Yeah, well, um, as you probably said, I'm a, a literary activist, or I refer to myself as a literary activist, because I do a lot of things in the literary field, editing, publishing, organizing events, organizing people, bossing around writers to make sure to try and encourage them to get published, <laughs> all of that. Um, yeah, and I enjoy all of it. So, yeah. And just recently, I've just been involved with a lot more, many more book projects as well. Yeah. So I know you've got a book project in terms of like what's on top that's uh, happening at this moment do you want to tell us a little bit about that because it sounds really really interesting and and particularly the theme of, of what you're working on yeah i mean well the book at the moment i kind of i thought i put them beside me because i think all the books i work with oh, i call them all groundbreaking and i think they're all important equally important um so if you don't mind, I'll just kind of go back to the first one that was kind of kicked off this season, which was that Hair Volution, mm -hmm. which came out on Afro, was it, it was Afro Poetry World Day or something on the 15th of September. I didn't know that existed. No, neither did I. But Hair Volution, her hair, her story, our history. And the editors were two sisters, young women who did this, Saskia Kaliste and Zainab Ragdo, who edited it. It is a lovely book with 30 interviews and conversations in there with um, 
with African women around the world from the ages of between 18 and 80, talking about their hair story, their hair journey. Um, and it's great, you know, and um, you, you just realize just how much your hair journey sometimes has been the same with somebody else's, but also very different. I and mean, just the different things we have to go through politically, economically, as regards hair. Um, so that's what well, I'm really pleased that I'm, I'm in that. And I think it's really important. Um, and then um, the 20th anniversary edition of IC3 came out at the end of September. And IC3, um, I co-edited with Cortia Newland. And this was nearly 100 writers in Black Britain who either, who either submitted poetry, fiction, memoir, or a short story all about the Black British experience. Um, a lot of people didn't get it at the time, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, so we're really pleased that 20 years later, the publisher is important enough to bring out again. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's a lot of, oh, hair, world, world imperfections, mm. a poetry collection of African women's poetry. I mean, I know, we've, I know we've just had um, New Daughters of Africa came out a couple of years ago, but this one is just poetry, published, edited by Natalia Molabaxi in South Africa. And um, so that's a real pleasure to be in something like that, you know. Um, but then this latest one that's uh, going to be published next week on the 28th of October called This is the Canon, Decolonize Your Bookshelf in 50 Books. And myself and two co-authors, Joan Anum Addo, who people might know, Professor Joan Anum Addo from um, Goldsmiths University, and Dr. Deirdre Osborne, and they both set up the MA in Black British Literature at Goldsmiths. Um, they're the co-editors, they're the co-authors, and between us, we came up with 50 books that we're not saying is replacing the existing canon, but will extend the canon to enrich people's reading experience. Uh, and it has been, it was both daunting, but both fantastic to do. Because I was like, last year of my PhD, and I thought to myself, I'm really stupid to say I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps you could tell us a little bit about some of the books. I mean, I'll, I'll shout out to, obviously, to Professor Joan, and uh, I'm not sure, was she Professor Deirdre? Uh, I did. Mm -hmm. at uh, Goldsmiths because that's I, I did that master's um, yeah. it took yeah. me a while to finish it I had a few things happen I was supposed to finish it in 2017 and of course Grenfell happened but um, I did do it so you know thanks to them and actually because of them I you know I, I, I met you some years before that but I actually managed to read or they put Iriki on if I have how do you pronounce it Iriki Iriki Iriki, Iriki on yes, the yes. on the um, reading list. So of course I, I I read that and I just loved your work. Thank so you. when then of course you and and um, obviously uh, Dor Dorothea, big shout out as well to Sister Dorothea Smart, who's an incredible poet and writer. When you were doing yes. that workshop, I I was eager to join, seeing as as I'd read your work and everything. So yes, this is these are the connections that we make. But um, I'm really keen to hear maybe some of the books that have made the top fifty. Because it's, the, you know, the decolonizing theme is so important and it's beautiful to talk about decolonizing your bookshelf. I think that's wonderful. Yes, yeah. And people really need to just think about decolonizing, going to their own bookshelf first and having a look at it and seeing what's on it and what's not. <laughs> but 
really aimed to do was draw in writers from and I mean, Deirdre has, you know, she puts it really well um, uh, in terms of saying, we, you know, transversing the oceans, you know, kind of making sure we, we kind of do that. So there are indigenous writers from, uh, whether it be from Australasia, from Canada, from North America, those are the indigenous writers from, from those places, um, you know, writers from um, Africa and the diaspora you know, including the Caribbean and in the USA, um, you know, so we have the Caribbean writers there as well, and also writers from Asia as well. Just so some of the writers are well known, but it doesn't mean to say that they log into people's minds necessarily, or everybody's mind, as, as the canon. Um, so, you know, there will be well-known writers in there like Toni Morrison, and we think that Chinua Achebe is necessarily well-known, but he's not well-known to everybody, even to even to African people, you know. Um, and I was at an event um, a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was like, you know, a literary event. It was, a, it was to uh, honor Margaret Busby's A Lifetime Achievement. And somebody really came to me and is going, oh, Khadija, I'm so shocked because I was at a, an event and this young woman from Sierra Leone I was talking to and he didn't realize I was from Sierra Leone. And he said, and I mentioned Chinua Achebe because I knew Chinua Achebe. And she said, who's he? Oh, so wow. It, it's really, and he said, that, that kind of thing really worries me. So he said, I'll be glad to see your book. <laughs> you know, so we've got, we've got to realize just because we think, and he's known as the father of African literature, even though he didn't like that term himself, but not everybody knows him. Yet it's a seriously important book, which is why it is on our list. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um, but so because there were only 50 there were other names there were so many names people will look at and say why wasn't that person there why wasn't that person there and because we could only have 50 and so for example one of Charlene's book came out when we were almost finishing and then it's in my head thinking should we include this book and I'm going well no not at this time we can do another book or somebody else could do another book and include that book if it's felt that it's right to include that book do you know what I mean we shouldn't kind of just bust just because they're there, because they're going to be there, they're going to be great. It doesn't mean to say that this is the only book. This is the first book of, of, of many. Um, but I think one of our favorite sections, well, I know one of my favorite sections, is what we try to do is after the 50, after, after we've, we've written about a particular book, we've then gone and said, if you like this, why don't you try this? Mm. Um, so, and we've not done it, and so we've kind of, when we say try this, we're considering theme. We're considering ethnicity. We're considering gender. Um, so, you know, somebody might want to extend their reading interest in a particular book in all of those, in all of those different senses. So, yeah, so it's a really important book. Um, and then, and if any, any time anybody kind of says to me, so what was, pick out one of your favorites. How can you pick out a favorite? <laughs> You've had to write about all of them. Um, but I must say that, oh, gosh, thought by... Um, Oh, thought by Old Lovelace was I had started reading it when it first came out and then I, I lost it so this is great <laughs> that I, I had to read it it's a fantastic book in terms of writing about those connections between the Caribbean and Africa and, um, and, and Pan-Africanism and kind of the um, 
and the Caribbean and you're Trinidadian and now you actually go to your local you know, and just writing about the rise of the Trinidad nation and, and but that was a reflection of what was happening throughout the Caribbean. I, I love that book. I, I really do. Well, I, I love the way all Lovelace writes anyway. It's just so lyrical. Yeah, but it's such an important book in terms of those connections that we have and reminding us just how deep those connections are. And you kind of read that and you kind of think if any Caribbean person in their mind thinks that they're Africa, they Africa, they really don't know. Yeah. It's there, it's there you know? And, and, and that's the other thing. I, I, I love the fact that uh, you, you are ha you're saying to leave space for more of this because I was thinking when Margaret Busby's second, you know, New Daughters of Africa came out, it was like, wow, they've done another one. And who knows, maybe they'll do a third one because there's so many amazing women that are doing this work. And, and similarly, yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, this is the start. Hopefully you guys will do another one, the next 50 to decolonize your bookshelf, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It needs to be done. It needs to be done. You know, because, we, I mean, a lot of the work, there are so many books we wanted to include, for example, that we couldn't because they're no longer in print. Mm. We're saying, how come? But this book has, has made such a mark and usually makes a mark on other published writers as well who commented on the book, but it's not in print. Um, there'll be books in translation. Um, you know, I mean, did, it, did you manage to get anything? Because I know, I mean, we'll come on to that perhaps later, uh, the work that you've done, you know, with Mboka, but also translating books into or from African languages. Yeah, well, this one, well, the books in here, they are all available in English. Some of them were translated into English. But yes, I mean, you're right. I mean, for me, it's really... As, I, as I'm reading them, I'm, you know, I'm kind of thinking, is this book available in African languages, you know? Mm. Um, and there's a book that Mutoma Wa Ngugi has done recently about the rise of the African novel. Very, very good book, talking about um, um, books in, in translation and, you know, and in terms of African literature. And he's not making the point of what is important more than anything else, but I think it's a really good book for now looking back in the past, reflecting on uh, books that were in African languages that were translated usually by the person who wrote it in the original language. Um, so there's writers like Sol Platy that he mentioned. But, you know, just bringing it kind of up to date, just talking about this whole discussion that we're doing now around uh, African languages and, and translation and everything. And I know that um, him and his whole family are kind of making, you know, lots of moves around that because that's something we need to we need to do more. But there's a lot of groups, small groups, doing things around translating um, works into African languages in Africa and here and, and, and everywhere. It's really nice. So it's just nice to make those connections as well because even though it's a small pot, it's a very important pot. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that uh, in terms of the decolonizing agenda, I mean, that's part of it, surely, is is to actually not have books only in English because, you know, English is the colonizer's language for, for most, of, as a Trinidadian, as somebody from Sierra Leone, for most of us. So, you know, how extensive is it? You've mentioned there's a small group, but is it getting more traction to actually make sure that we everyone can read writers by of African heritage in their, their local languages? It's, it's a big job, um, but people are making moves to start doing that work. It's going to take a long time, 
but there are groups, particularly in Kenya, who are going to start doing that. Mm. And I think, you know, having, making a decision, I'm not sure if it came out from the AU around having Swahili as the uh, language for the continent. Yeah, the common uh, the language. Yeah. As a common language, mm. I think is a good thing. You know, we, we had to make, we had to make that move and it had to be a language. You know, personally, I don't know which one it was. So I hope that people are going to be, you know, on board with that because I think that is a good start as well. Well, it's um, great for Swahili now. speakers because they, that means that uh, there can be loads of classes now being run in Swahili, loads more, and we can yeah. all try and get our heads down and try and learn a bit of it besides exactly. Jambo. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Exactly. You know, then you know there are there are groups now that have started to translate um, Ngugi's book, um, mm. "Decolonizing the Minds." So can you imagine? For all, and that's only just recently started to happen. So you can imagine we were all really believing in what Ngugi was saying in "Decolonizing the Minds," but it was only in English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's similarly. I think a lot of the you know writers. Um, have written in French, you know, with the Negritude movement and obviously all, all the, 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 the oh, I'm trying to think his name is um, the, the treatise on decolonizing. I've forgotten the name of the writer. My, my mind keeps going. But, um, you know, the famous uh, writers of of the, the, the French speaking uh, part of, of that. The, time, yeah. Which included Amy Césaire. Um, yeah, that's exactly who I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And to yeah. think that, I mean, what I, what, you know, I, what I try to do with this book, I try to really, because you know, I'm really into poetry as well anyway. So when we had the bit at the bottom about, if you like this, try this, half of my names were poets. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you think about Césaire's writing, I mean, obviously I've only read it translated into English from French, another colonial writing, uh, language, but it's very poetic. A very, yes. Extremely. It's like a long poem, really. Well, well quite a lot of the um, African leaders were poets. Mm. They, were, they were actively poets, or they at least wrote a couple of poems in terms of, you know, the emotion and, and everything around independence. Um, and that's something I've just put on my on my Afri Poetry app as well. And I was surprised. I didn't know all of us. I knew that some of them were poets. But then I thought, oh, let me see if, if this leader has written the poem. Let me see if this one has written the poem. And they nearly all wrote poems. You know, so um, I think in terms of us, when we're thinking about pan-Africanism and decolonization and, and looking at those uh, leaders of the time and looking at, at their work and their sentiments and how they express it in poetry, you know, I think it's a good thing. But, you know, in, in my head, I'm thinking we need to have a, this is the canon in brackets poetry. <laughs> right. So maybe, yeah, maybe there's going to have to be the 50 poets uh, to decolonize your shelf as well. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I think we've really made, um, you know, a good start with this book because I think even as we worked through it and we were working on it, some of the things we, real we realized we knew before that it was just the start, obviously because, um, especially with um, Joan and Deirdre, they're teaching um, some of these works. Um, but you realize it's even more when you just start even reading the work of your neighbors, of the neighbors of some of these writers. And the process itself was almost a decolonizing one. So the decolonizing is not just putting the books on your shelf, it's how you read them mm. as well. It's how you're reading them and how you're thinking about you know, so the writers and what they were trying to express at the time and their struggle, their, their push against colonialism. And I can particularly think of Anna Ata Aidu, the 
her book is included, the first one, Our Sister Killjoy. She is a staunch Pan-Africanist, and she is a staunch, like, fighting against um, colonization. And she does it even with her, in her first book, even in terms of the way she wrote the book. It, they call mm. it an experimental book because it isn't straight prose. You know, part of it is poetry, part of it is letter writing, part of it is, is fiction. So she mixed all of those genres together to perform a novel in inverted commas because she was pushing against what was seen as a novel in a European context. So, you know, you've got to think of the decolonization and their push against what they had been taught in schools to find their own way and find their own voice. And, and you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to do that in the first book, which is why a lot of these writers that we've got in here, they've been writing for decades and they're writing, all writing in different genres. I think most of them write in more than one style. Most of them write in all. Most of them will write prose, poetry, plays, memoirs. Most of them will write a whole lot, you know? Well, I think a lot of what you're saying really speaks to this whole thing about decolonizing publishing as well. I mean, I kind of spoke a little bit. I had Margaret. I was blessed enough to have Margaret come on the show, one of my shows last year. And, and you know, this is really what the, the work needs to happen as well, because and if we don't decolonize the, pro, the, 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 the process of publishing, then exactly as you say, people will not be able to often find their voice or they'll have to write in a way that suits a particular style or a template that isn't That's necessarily, right. you know, it's not ours, it's European. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, and nobody's saying, and they don't even say that, that some of the writers that they've, that they've studied were not worth studying. They were because you learn through that and you learn mm -hmm. how to, okay, how to take something that is may, as may be seen as a canon and, and, you, and you turn it into the way that you want to write. You try something different, you know, um, and that's, and that's what we need to continually do, and finding our own voices through our own style and through our own forms and structure, which is why it's kind of really nice to see when a different kind of structure of a poem will come out quite often um, the African-American poets will do that and, and devise another style um, or structure of a poem. And I think it, it's great when we do that, you know, because sometimes our what we want to say chimes differently mm. in, 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 in different, uh, you know, in different lengths, in different verses and everything. But so, even the way we yeah. use language, my, my big thing is about how language is, is used and how we, we adapt it for our own. Like a sister of mine always says, you know, mm. English is not my first language. She makes a point as mm. somebody, you know, her parents are J Jamaican and, but, you know, as an African who was captured, are somewhere deep in our history and our ancestry is another voice and another language and is there a way to capture that and incorporate that into what we do now bearing in mind that we're limited by own well in my case only speaking english but mine too mine only speaking english so even in like in my in my poetry, so no no I, creole <laughs> I, I was thinking of annie still annie's um uh, still i write you know i rise <laughs> being yes. able to watch that and that was you know when she does it in sierra leone or creole and i just in think it's creole. fantastic it absolutely is and and you know and, and she did it for maya angelou as well so that is great yes of course yeah, yeah 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 so even in my book i do have there's a couple of poems that i have in creole and english hmm. and i put the creole first 
I like because it was coming out of one of them I, I wrote from it's like my two grandmothers speaking to each other and not, neither one of my grandmothers spoke English one spoke Creole and the other one didn't speak Creole she just she spoke um, Mende and Timoney so I kind of had this imagined conversation between them so I did write it in Creole um, but and then I did the translation in English, but I helped somebody to do help. I got somebody to help me kind right. of do both to make it right. But I wanted to make sure that the Creole appeared in the book first to say, this was the language that they spoke in. This is the language for the book. And I want to, I want to see more of that. You know, when I, sometimes if I'm asked to judge a competition, especially with, you know, African poets and I'm not seeing anything, uh, see a little bit of African Im imagery, like it's got from African books, that's all I'm thinking. You know, if you're so enriched to these other languages, please use them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is, it's something about what we hear, like there's an inner voice, like with me, like I always said, Lonely Londoners was seminal for me because when I read the way he'd written it, and I read it in my 20s, I was like, I could just hear my Trinidadian voice. And that just really, there's something very powerful about that. Yeah, and then you see... Um, uh, Benga Benuba wrote another lonely Namdada, and that's all in Nigerian, Patwa, English, bits of English. Bits of, it, it, and not a lot of people have written about this book. I did find online that there was Afghan Africa wrote about it. She just said, I can't believe that more people haven't written about this book. Just mm. the way he, you know, so it would have been, so he would have been writing this, I think, from the 90s, and sort of like a young Nigerian coming to England. And and the and the language he has to contend with with mm. his own language and the language here, and all a mix. So sometimes you'll find three different languages or whatever in within a couple of pages, you know. But that's how we speak. Yeah, that's a part of know? us. And I think I'm I'm yeah. I'm just aware that the time we've got like a few seconds, thirty seconds oh. or so before we're going to go on to the promos. We're going to take a break for about five or six minutes. We're going to come back, but I think. Again, I think it'd be really nice to maybe hear a little bit more about the kind of context of writing, writing as uh, you know, black British writing. I'm thinking of your 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 anthology, white, right, black, right, British. So, listeners, we are honoured to have Sister Khadija Sese with us. If you bear with us, we will be back in about five. all day, every day, playing your favourite songs. This. No, no, is no. Yes, this is the Eclectic Goddess with the Speak Your Truth show here on Feferity Radio. How's everyone doing this Saturday afternoon? I'm really happy because I've got the amazing sister Khadija, Khadija, not Khadija, Khadija Sese, who is on the line, about to come on. I just want to let people know that we love to hear from you, so do give us a call on 0730-541-7668. And if you're calling from outside of the UK, you put a plus is four four and drop that first zero and stick with seven three zero five four one seven six six eight. So, Sister Khadija, are you still with us? I'm still with you. Didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Excellent. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Now I'm having that same thing with the uh, just one minute with the audio. How? Okay. Let me try again. Do you want to try again? Yeah, can you hear me now? No, the same thing's happened. We seem to have a little bit of an issue with getting this audio to go through. One second. Let's try again. Try again. 
Yeah, I'm yep, here. Perfect. You're back. You're back. Back. Oh, full thanks, voice. Thank, thank, <laughs> thank, Jar. <laughs> so yes, uh, we were talking kind of off off air, as it were, a little bit about the the whole Black British writing and mm -hmm. claiming claiming that space for Black British writers or African yes. heritage writers from the UK, however you choose to yes. define it. Do you want to perhaps tell us a little bit? about that work that's going on and why it's important because I, I mentioned it because of your anthology it's been done so, a few years ago but it's actually people you have to get it right black right British if you want to decolonize yourself because it's a brilliant collection of work yeah I mean for me I really it followed on from when we did IC3 because Kortia and I realized that one of the things and when we spoke to the writers as well one of the things is that they weren't finding that there was any critical work being done on their books. And writers need that. Writers need that critical feedback, whether it was, whether it's good or not, you know, to know where they're going with their work. And we looked around and there was virtually nothing for writers who were born in the UK and writing. So I set about doing this Write Black, Write British. So one section was on poets, one section was on fiction writers, and then another section which was, which was more general around the, the, the society issues around Black Britain that then that the writers were, were, were feeding into. And so one of the things, one of the criteria was they should have two books so that we had something comparative. Um, so at the time, there weren't that many writers who had two books, but there was enough to make a really good argument for what we were saying and to really push against this thing but they came from some kind of colonial background because everything is like if you were black, if you were Asian, no matter how old you were, your work was post your work was post colonial. And I just kind of thought, and they kind of thought this was rubbish. Mm. So we had to push against that. So you know, black British was the term that was chosen. So then, when things started getting popular around black British literature, those who then before had been referred to as post colonial wanted to put themselves in the bag of black British. Mm. But to me, it's kind of like, it doesn't matter if you're going to make what you need to make. It's fine. I just really wanted to get away from that term because I think that is another one that when you have it over your head and over your literature, it, I think it kind of holds us back. I'm saying this now and I so many mm. part with a post-colonial, but maybe we need to rethink this. I mean, and I know that is a part of discussions as well because you know, and, and, and when you think about it, in the past five years, so many more young black writers in different genres have, have come out and been published, whether self-published, published by major publishers, hated by, when I say major publishers, I mean like mainstream large publishers, like black publishers, black-owned publishers. Um, you've got to think, we've passed that colonial term. Mm. You know, you can still write about it, but you're writing about it in a reflective from another point of view, because it's not something that they lived, they didn't live through those kind of independent times, the yeah. times that their parents lived through, who don't even necessarily talk about it, but it still has an effect on their life. So that's a whole other thing that we need to deal with. And that yeah, is and why colonialism is still so impactful on all of our lives, because it's still there as a presence. But sometimes it's not. It's, a lot of the time, it's not even spoken about by those people who went through it. And it's a different experience. And you're right. It's you know, for for like you know, young people particularly, and and people under a certain age, they 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 don't have 
the same experience. I mean, like even like the migration experience that I have, my daughters don't have that. They were born right. in England. That it's completely different to be born here or to be a migrant and to come here. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, yeah. And I was and I was thinking as well when when we were talking about uh, this whole thing about kind of finding those pieces of, of, of work that have been done by by writers and writers in, you know also work publishing it in African languages and all this kind of decolonizing if you want to call it but but opening up the space it's also I think it's a really important thing because in the world of academia you mentioned you weren't an academic but clearly you, you are because you will be shortly officially an academic and, <laughs> and you are doing academia academic work um, yes. So, for example, I've been working with some students in a university where there was an issue about racism uh, with the, the senior director. Uh, this just happened recently. But one of the things that very much came up in the work that I was doing with them when I was interviewing and talking to the students is that in the courses they were doing, they were not being allowed to use books written by people of African heritage. They were always expected to use books written by Europeans. And, and you know this whole thing about sources but the work you're doing albeit in literature I think is really important because it, it can actually be translated into other things you know even into anthropology and and you know yeah. politics and all these things because it's the it's the thought that's on paper it's the way in yeah. which people see things yes you know and what's it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I was I started a book, and I it's one of these projects that I'm going to have to go back to. It got put on hold while I was doing my PhD, and it was like looking at you know pan Africanism, you know in the in the future and what it kind of looks like, etc. Um, you know, having just reimagined, not so much reimagining, but um, really looking at what the tw what um, Afri pan Africanism should look like in the future, um, and. Um, I called it 21st of February because there's a, there's a significant date where different things happened in different years on the 21st of February. Um, and somebody sent me an email. I didn't do a call for submissions because I knew who I wanted to submit to this. And I thought to myself, it's really important for young black people to see that an academic book can be filled up by black academics. Hmm. Yeah, I did get white academics emailing me saying, why haven't I sent them the call for papers? I thought to myself, either wait till you're invited or you obviously should realize that you weren't invited. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, it is, for, it is for a reason. I'm not saying that they don't know their topic, but I needed to have in my, in my mind, a, you know, a book like this is, so you can see that all black academics can fill this book. And... Um, and that is really a powerful thing. And Extremely. that is a really powerful thing to happen, you know? So, and this is what the students are crying out for because, you know, they're going yeah. into these institutions and they're not being reflected. You know, I mean, a, a young sister, one of the things said, you know, why am I going to come to university to hear white people telling me about my people? Yeah. Actually, where's the actual stories or, or the experiences of my own people? Yeah. So and they don't realize that it's important for us to know that and for them to know that. You know, no. and to re and have and to have the comparison. I remember when I when I studied, I did my first degree at, at Birmingham University, and I had a West African Studies department. I didn't even see a book. I was getting so excited in my final year because I heard this book was coming out by by a black writer, Samira Means book mm. from the, uh, the neocolonialism. I can't remember the exact title, but it was like neocolonialism in Africa. I was so excited about that. That was my first book in three years that I'd seen. Yeah, but somebody who 
was not white. I said, listen, it was incredible. Yeah, and the young people now, yeah. they want more, you know, they're asking for more. And it's, and it's true because if you think about like the Windrush generation, so-called, you know, it was 1948, 1950 people arrived. Look how long they've been here and, and you know, West mm -hmm. African migration. And so, yeah, the young people here now are like crying out for, you know, for source material. Yeah. Yeah. So they shouldn't keep asking for it and keep pushing for it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough time. But I, I mean, at least now we kind of know that those works are there. We just need to encourage young people to still keep arguing and fighting for that. Well, they shouldn't have to fight. This is the thing. They shouldn't have to fight. It should be on curriculum. But I think something like the book that you're, you know, the 21st of February um, working title is absolutely fantastic because I think, again, many of our young people get into the, you know, into the academy and they look around and they don't see people that look like them who are shaping things, who are writing the curriculum. So, so right. reading something like that would be really affirming. Yeah. Just yeah. to know that there's all these academics who yeah. look like them. So even though I started that just before I started the PhD, and I know that some of the contributors were a little bit annoyed with me that it hasn't come out yet, I actually think it will be a better book when I revisit it. Because, and I mean, and that is one of the things that it's being useful doing that academic study will do, because I can revisit it with more, with a bit more, more, more rigor, with more, with more oomph. <laughs> in some ways, I, I just think it was going to be better. So in some ways, the postponement of it was better. And there are probably some more, some other academics out there now who, whose contributions as yeah, well. Yeah, some younger ones who might have come through in the meantime. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. So I'm really actually looking forward to getting back to that. Oh, um, I think it's, there's going to be a huge appetite for that. That's going to be really yeah. well received. Yeah. I mean, not that anything that you, don't, that you do isn't well received, <laughs> but this will be really well received. And speaking yeah. of well received, you chose two, two fantastic tracks. Uh, that I'm going to play and I thought perhaps I would, uh, it's a nice time now for me to ask you which of the f two you'd like me to play first and to tell our listeners what it's called and why you chose it. Okay, um, let's go for Jerusalem first. <laughs> um, Jerusalem by Burna Boy um, in Zulu. And I was so excited. I heard that first and I thought to myself, what on earth is he, he's singing it? I mean, I'm not a Nigerian. I don't speak Yoruba, but I knew it wasn't Yoruba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought to myself, that sounds a lot to me like Zulu, just in terms of this intonation. Yeah. And because of Zulu, I'd heard, and it, and it was. And I thought to myself, you see, this is what Pan-Africanism is about. Yeah, it's a living example. And thank you for that, because I didn't know that version, and I, and I loved the original. When I heard, because of you, I played it, I was like, rah, that's I a track. <laughs> Fantastic. And I like Bernard Boy because he is so, uh, he is so, um, he's a Pan-Africanist himself and he's very conscious. So I thought, yeah, um, I thought that's something, to, that's, to, that's what I follow. In Wonderful. Music, that kind of, that kind so of let's thing. play this track. Mm. Thank you. 
What a yeah. track, what a track. <laughs> that's that's a gem. And like you it say, is. I mean, to hear a brother from Nigeria singing in a language from Southwest Africa, fantastic, fantastic. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So, my sister, tell us a bit about Afri Poetry Tree, the new app that you're working on. I mean, I, I, I honestly can't believe the number of things you work on. It's beyond... <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, halfway through this one, I thought to myself, why on earth did I start this? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it kind of came about because I did my, when I did Earthy, my first book, and I thought to myself, how do I promote this? And because I'm really so interested in publishing, I wanted to say, well, okay, I can, you know, promote this from, I can promote my book going from um, old-fashioned print to how would I do it? in a modern way and digitally. And I thought, well, the most modern way would be to do it as an app. So uh, first of all, I did like a web-based app of about 20 poets, because I, I just find it more fun <laughs> promoting myself with other people. Mm -hmm. So it was a web-based app with about 20 poets. And then um, the people who helped me do it to be acting, they're going, this is really good. What are you doing with it? And I'm like, well, I'm thinking I'd like to extend it. They go, yeah, you should. 
you know, and it's called the modern Pan-Africanist journey because I was trying to link up Pan-Africanism and poetry and, and, and things in my head, you know, and what is that journey of a poet who calls themselves a Pan-Africanist? What is that journey? What does that journey look like? And at the moment, it looks like um, an app which is called an SIV, a selective interactive video. So it's really mainly video. Um, and on it, I'm putting on a selection of poets from all over the place. And so it's kind of like, um, yeah, and, and different resources and information around poets, around poetry, around Pan-Africanism. Because I'm thinking in, in terms of if people want to know about what's going on with African poets and poetry, they would visit this and they could watch they can, they, they can watch something, they can watch videos, it's very video-based, they could re read things, they can listen to things and just read the poetry and just see that the amalgamation of everybody together is a very Pan-Africanist um, pot <laughs> of poetry, but at the same time, then you're getting to understand what Pan-Africanism means in so many different ways, because the poets themselves do it through their work very specifically sometimes, so we do have Brother Toy and Betu on there, who you had last week, and yeah. his work. And then you'll have other, you know, very young poets, old elders, everything on there, expressing either things around our, our situation and our situation the way it is shared. Our situation and the way it is shared between us, whether we were on the continent or on the diaspora, is a pan African thing that we need to, that we're dealing with, you know. Um, so, I, and for me as well, it, it's just to answer that question. Like I did see some seminar, it kind of said, um, is, is Pan-Africanism, you know, what does Pan-Africanism mean today? Or, you know, is Pan-Africanism still around? And I thought, well, can I really be really bothered to deal with those kind of questions? It's mm. kind of there. And you kind of need to see how it's part of our everyday, you know? And this is one way of seeing how it's part of our everyday, really. And but also enjoying poetry, whether you thought that you did or you did not before. This is you're actually learning two things at once here, and getting to find out about the different poets. And I learned a lot myself, which is always really good. <laughs> so um, when will it be out? Hopefully uh, early next year. It should have been out this year, but it, it's been a lot of work. I can um, imagine. There's a there's a <laughs> you've got a lot of people on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I was I was, yeah. I was interested that you ha also that you've got Alexander the Great because obviously he's a Calypsonian, a homegrown you know UK-based Calypsonian. But of course, for us, for Trinidadians, you know, Calypso is a, it, you know, it's a form of poetry. It's a, it's it's a particular yeah. way of sharing information. It's the griot of of Trinidad. Exactly, and language. Well, first of all, I asked him to come on board because I was going to do an event in May around Windrush in inverted commas. Um, and I was inviting, you know, different poets from that Windrush era to do an event, which didn't actually happen. But then I definitely wanted to have him as part of that. So even though that didn't happen, I thought to myself, well, really, he still needs to be part of this African poetry, really, because this is another form of poetry for us as well, <laughs> in a sense. Um, and, you know, and, you know there, are, there are people who write, other people who are writing poetry around festivals or carnival or whatever, it's always part of the same thing, and it fits really well. To me, it fits really well. Again, it's it, 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 it busting that idea of what is poetry. Yeah, it's not constraining you know? it. Exactly. Without constraint, exactly, you know. So that, that was really important for me. So I'm really glad, 
Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to, to seeing to seeing the app, and I think exactly you know using social media that sort of technology is really important because yeah. you know um, one of the sisters actually from um, for Ferrity we were doing something sister big shout out to sister Aquesi, and uh, she mentioned in our conversation we were talking about Black History last week uh, this whole thing about you know how what role a social media played, and you know on the continent it's a big thing. I mean, everybody has WhatsApp or, or Signal or Telegram, and, and it's a way for people, you know, speaking of Pan-Africanism, yeah. you know, there's Pan-Africanism with a capital P, there's a social movement, but there's also the idea of moving across Africa, of yes. pan, you know, this whole connecting Africa together. And I think social yeah. media, these sorts of ways, are, is, uh, uh, you know, are really the, the way that it's happening. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so that's, I mean, so that's one of the plus things about social media because there's, you know, obviously we know there's a lot of, can be a lot of negative stuff of it, but at least with this, it has kind of linked us up much, much easier. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that has been, been, been really useful about social media. So, yeah. And speaking yeah. about, about linking up and, and what's happening, Mboka, which is Wolof for family, which I learned through you, Mboka. Yes. Tell well, us about what's well, happening. Thank you, thank you for Mboka because that brought me to the Gambia. <laughs> I wouldn't have discovered the beauties of the Gambia. I think if it had oh, not no. been for that, I might have gone somewhere else. You know, Ghana probably. But actually, yeah. yeah. So can you uh, let us know what's happening? What's happening with Mboka? Well, one of the things is I have kind of worked out a way to get Mboka onto the app as well. <laughs> well, so well done. People, people, people who've been involved with Mboka because of course that is a and also itself means one family. Um, and so in terms of the people who've been involved with Boca, like yourself, it is one diaspora family and, you know, coming coming to the Gambia or coming out from the Gambia. So there are three writing groups on there. And one of them um, are, are people who've been involved within Boca, like yourself, like Annie, and the writers group from Ghana and Femwriter Uganda are on there. Um, so, you know, it's been really slow for us because um, lockdown because mm. we were really doing a lot of the funding, the ground funding ourselves. So we've just basically tried to keep things going with different events, for example, that we could do and label them within Boca. So we had a, a really great event. I, I think it was, I'm sure it was this year, but, you know, COVID makes you kind of... Yeah, the 18th of February, the uh, independence. The did that happen this year? Yes, it did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, I can imagine when you're in the throes of doing a PhD, I can imagine everything just melts into one big, huge melts. swirl. Yeah, yeah. But that was such a fantastic event. It was. Um, one of the things particularly as well, because we had two young um, Gambian artists. One was Gambian, who was born in the Gambia, but raised here. And another, Sophia Sakura, who was uh, her... her um, background is Gambian and I think it's either uh, Sri Lankan I think it is mm. and as well and they both talked and then we had another young brother as well who's from like Senegal Gambian um, and they were just all basically talking about how the Gambia rooted them and is how the how having their family and culture and tradition is not what only drove them but kept them stable that was great to hear so there is, I did do a very short article. It's on the Wasafiri website about the three of them, just talking, and with Khadija Say, her work as well, talking about 
Gambian European, young Gambian European artists. Um, so we haven't yet planned the next festival. We're looking at, you know, different accessing how we're accessing different pots of money to make this work. But also we kind of start planning and you're kind of thinking, but okay, can we really do something live at the moment? Because people are still um, debating about traveling. Mm. Um, you know, so like even one of the major conferences which I, I usually attend, African Literature Association, they've just decided again not to have their conference in May 2022. Because they said, we just don't feel that people, not everybody will want to come. <laughs> You know, so we will probably still do some more things online at the moment to keep the um, Mboka flavor going. And I'm really hoping as well that when our poetry comes out, because that's where some of the um, some of the videos are going to be going on there. But Mboka has not gone. We're still around. We're just um, waiting in the wings for the for the, for the go are, the go the go oh, ahead. <laughs> we are we're waiting in the wings to go, but we will be doing some more stuff online, especially now that I kind of um. I've just I've done the PhD thing. I just need to kind of get back into it. And every time I'm emailing somebody now in Gambia, they go, so when are you coming? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> you know? Well, the so, next time, think of it this way. The next time you set foot in the Gambia, you'll be Dr. Sese or Dr. Yes. George, whichever one you choose to use. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Khadija, that's probably what you'll be. Dr. Khadija. <laughs> yes, instead of Auntie Khadija. Yeah, Dr. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, or, or uh, Dr. Auntie. Dr. Auntie Khadija, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Auntie Dr. Khadija. <laughs> yeah. So I, I also want to, you know, sh shout out to the listeners uh, and, and, and say that you, you've been wonderful the way you've supported making sure the work of our sister Khadija Say, who we tragically lost in 2017 wow. in the um, Grenfell atrocity, has been kept, mm -hmm. you know, in the pu public eye, the work you've done with the British Library to make sure, you know, it's out there. And um, I think that's really important work because um, yeah. what a talent and, and what a loss. But exactly. You, you, you put it in one. What a talent, what a loss. It was just such an honor for me to be working on that project, which is, has just come to an end. But all of her works and why it can be seen online in the British Library. And people don't always know if you click on the image, it does make it larger so you can see the whole beauty of it um but it I, it really has changed things for me as well it's changed some aspects of my life i could really honestly say that after now doing it and sitting back and thinking about the work i did and thinking about her and what she gave it was it's and even the curator marion wallace who i worked with at the british library who was, who was is a great person to work with I think even for her as well, she has just kind of said it has been not only an honour, it, it has been kind of life-changing. Mm. It really has. To have, you know, we had Khadija in our presence at the library. Yeah, her energy is definitely know. there. Well, yeah. we, keep, we keep her memory alive in North Kensington along with the other 71, at least 71 members of our community who we lost. We make sure that they are, they're always with us. And, you know, speaking of losing people as well, uh, I mentioned last week, listeners, we've got the United Friends and Families campaign, the annual March next Saturday. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Because this is personal to you. Yes, it is. Because I lost my, I lost my cousin, Shakubayo, um, in Kakolgi in Scotland, um, five years ago. Um, and um, there is now going to be a public inquiry, at least. But we have lost him. Mm -hmm. And we 
know that nobody is going to even face charges for that. Mm-hmm. But at least a public inquiry will give us some of the answers and point some fingers and, you know, let's hope that something like this and let's pray that something like this never happens again because, you know, my, my cousin was killed in a very similar way to how George Floyd was killed. And, and people don't either want to hear, some people do, I'm not saying this is everybody, but a lot of people either don't want to hear or do not realize just how many black people in this country have died in such a tragic way. They really have not. And it's all very well to say, well, you know, with the George Floyd case, we can only, I, I, like I was on one discussion thing, they said, well, we can't mention everybody. So if we mention George Floyd, it just covers them all. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Also, oh, does he's not. died in America. I mean, all respect and love for his family. We, we need to bring it home. Yeah, of course. We need to bring it home. And each one of those names needs to be shouted out loudly to be remembered. And that's what we're going to do next Saturday. That's what we're going to do at, People can meet at Trafalgar Square at midday, and it's a short march down to Downing Street, and people there hear the stories of what has happened to their loved ones. There have been so many people. We're, you know, we're not going to hear them all, but you'll hear the stories from the people who come. There's always families that come and who will tell you what they've been through, what they went through at the time, and what they're still going through, still fighting for justice. So hopefully some of the people saw that ICA exhibition, Yes. War in a Babylon. That War was. Fa- Babylon. I mean, a big shout out again to Brother Stafford Scott, Tottenham Wright, to his um, daughter whose name I've forgotten, young young Miss Scott, uh, and the other uh, sister who curated it because that was fantastic. It was. It was. And somebody in the in the small room and on the screens, and they did mention I think something about UFFC and almost like you're almost like a family of people who've been through that. Mm. It's almost like a club. This is a club we don't want to exist. Really, yeah. this kind of club should not exist. Right now it does, but people can join us, family and friends, to continue fighting for, for justice, not just for these victims who have lost, and our loved ones who've lost their lives, but to ensure, to put things in place so they don't happen again. And, that can, and this is to do with state violence overall. So it's not just the police, it's almost always, oh, sorry, yeah. it's also in mental institutions as well. A lot and of in prisons, in yeah. And in prison. So even when I heard David Harewood speak the other day, and you realize that once um, a black male is, is, is held by an institution, he's always described as large and black. Oh, yeah. It yeah. And they, they're always, it's, I mean, when I used to go to court back in the 80s as a paralegal, there was always the same language. Oh, they were flailing around their arms. And, you know, I, I feared for, and you're like, really? I feared for my life. Change the yes. narrative. But um, if anyone wants to know anything more about UFFC, they're on UFFC or UFFcampaign.org, UFFcampaign.org. And as Sister Khadija says, every year there's the annual uh, march to Downing Street from Trafalgar Square. Please come and support families who've been through this. I mean, I had Sister Marcy on on here as well as one of my guests, as we know, the Sean Rigg campaign. And every year names get added to the list. Yes. You know, when we're fighting, so this is what people need to realize as well. Even it's, it's predominantly a black people's lives that have been lost. We are, we are fighting for the equality for all people's lives who've suffered this. And there's no you need know, for this, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. There's, 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 so when, when we're there, you can see and everybody's together. And people come from all over the country. Yeah, I mean, um, some people I'm, yeah. I used to just meet there every year. You know, I just see them once a year at that march, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. It's a meet-up point. Um, yes. So we're coming to the end of, of our conversation. I mean, I could just keep talking to you forever because there's so much that you're doing. Can you tell our listeners where they can get hold of the, the, the book? It's coming out, um, uh, is it this On month? 28th of October, yes. 28th of October, where uh, they'll be able to get it? Well, you can. most bookshops will you will be able to order it because it is published by Quirkus, Quirkus, who are a major publisher through Hatchet, but I would really encourage people to go through a black bookstore and order it. That is possible to do it online if they do not have it in the shop. So you've got New Beacon Bookshops, you've got This Is Black Love, um, uh, you know, there's so many pe uh, places. Please look online and, and try and buy black. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's I called say. This Is A Canon. This Is A Canon. Uh, 50, let me, I have to keep reminding myself of the title. This Is A Canon, Decolonize Your Bookshelf in 50 Books wonderful yeah and the people can find information where i mean will you have the information about the afri poetry uh tree on on sable lit mag or or one of your publishing um... yes i've got, I had this wonderful person called amy who has this company called this um this is i think it's called this is real or something like that and she um she set up all of the assets for me because I'm, I'm terrible with things and that. So already we do have a Twitter, Afri Poetry. Um, I'm not sure if we have a Facebook. We definitely have a Twitter. We definitely have an Instagram. Um, and the email address is afripoetry at gmail.com. So people can always email me if they need to, if they want further information to be coming out. So at this time, we just decided to just get the, um, let's get the product finished, then start marketing. Because trying to do both at the same time was very draining <laughs> so but yeah at poetry at gmail.com and somebody will respond to them or twitter and if you want to know a bit more also about sister khadija you can go on to uh, sablelitmag.org yeah sablelitmag or the mboka website oh mboka of course yeah, yeah. okay yeah mboka festival org yeah. so you're everywhere basically <laughs> yep <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You, it's always fantastic to speak to you and know what you're doing. Always doing amazing work in the community. Oh, thank you. And you chose yes, two tracks. You. Yes. And the second track, would you like to tell our listeners what it is and why you chose it? It is Lady by Fella. I had to have a Fella tune. <laughs> I just imagine that I'm going to have this birth party and all night it's going to be Fella. Um, it's because one of the things is whenever I'm feeling a little bit down, if I put on this tune, it brings me up. Right? That's it. And Fella is just brilliant. He in, is. In so many ways. Uh, such a genius. And brilliant. Yeah. And again, someone who didn't stick within any constraints and just did his thing his he way. Didn't. Exactly. Well, thank you again, as I said, for having you, for or having you, for coming on the show, allowing me to have you on the show and to share oh, some of your, your busy time with me this Saturday. We will play you out with Lady, my fella Kuti, the one and only. And um, yes, have a, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, you too. And thanks for having me. It's been great.
no go green. She go say, she go say, I be lady, yo. If you call a woman, African woman, no go green. She go say, she go say, I be lady, yo. Lady Namasta, Lady Namasta, call him for 
Great Falakuti lady, she a say she a lady oh, chosen by my wonderful guest, Sister Khadija Sese, Khadija George, who is uh, working on so many projects it's hard to keep track, but keep your eye out for Afri Poetry Tree and also for her book that is coming out at the well, I think it's the 28th uh, this month, yes, at this uh, end of the month, but what literally within a few days actually um, it is a compendium a collection of pan-african writing and it is called a, um, this is the canon I was gonna say a canon it is a canon this is the canon so keep your eyes out for that at uh, Quirkus books and as she said buy it from an African bookstore why not support the community that we are part of so I just uh, wanted to mention uh, uh, something that's just happened. I keep playing this wonderful uh, fella cootie, but we're going to bring it down. I mean, fella, it's 13 minutes that track, you know, people, 13 minutes. Very hard to play a whole fella cootie track on a radio show these days. So, yes, our brother Yassin Abubakar, who's the leader of the Jamaat al-Muslim, they are the group that staged the coup in 1990 in Trinidad, TNT. They actually went in and took the, uh, the Prime Minister A.N.R. Robinson uh, hostage at the time, and it was, lasted a number of days. He passed away the age of 80 yesterday, so sending love and blessings to his family. Uh, the, the remark that uh, was made is from Allah, we come unto Allah, we shall return. So. Yes, uh, recognizing that uh, he had a great impact on our country, Trinidad and Tobago, changed the face of it. <laughs> 